0: Welcome to The Bounce. I am Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Also a part of the board of directors of the Great Commission Collective. GCC is responsible for this podcast. Our goal is to plant gospel-centered churches and strengthen leaders, both here in the US and in Canada, all around the world, If you'd like to find out more about the Great Commission Collective, go to our website, which is gccollective.org. There's a link in the show notes. Today, we're going to connect with Ryan Welsh. Ryan is currently a pastor in Southlake, Texas. He is also a PhD candidate at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Ryan's particular interest is in the ethics of gender and human embodiment. And so I thought we ought to connect to talk about many of the pastoral challenges we face, the very practical issues we deal with in student ministries and in adult ministries, as we deal with people who are confused, both about their own gender and sexuality issues, but also about how to think rightly about these issues as believers in Christ. Let's go ahead and jump in on that conversation with Ryan Welsh. So as we dive in here, I'm thinking about um, youth group conundrums from 20 years ago. I'm I'm thinking about the youth pastor who got in trouble by the parents from the parents because he showed an inappropriate movie on the bus going up to youth camp. And there was a makeout scene and mom and dad were upset. And (laughs) and by the way, I'm a dad, so I understand that. And then there was one situation where it was one of these beautiful nights, and the youth pastor said, you know, hey, guys, if you want to bring your sleeping bags out to the basketball court and just sleep out under the stars on the basketball court, that's cool. Well, so that was boys and girls out on the basketball court. Again, news of that gets back home. Mom and dad are appropriately concerned about those kinds of things. But I'm thinking about all of that in light of where we are today, and I'm thinking— Man, that's a whole different set of issues because we've had situations in our church where a student in our youth ministry who is not sure how to identify wants to go on the mission trip, and we're thinking, okay, so does she bunk with the girls? That's what we would think. She's going to bunk with the girls, but if if she's not sure how she's going to identify, what does that mean if she's bunking with the girl? All of that to say, Ryan, this is a confusing day, and the degree of difficulty for student ministries for for all of us in this arena has gotten exponentially more difficult. Right?
1: No doubt. If you've read uh, if you've read Carl Truman's book, came out a couple years ago he he starts out his book with the the idea or the the illustration that if his grandpa were alive today and he heard somebody say i'm a woman trapped in a man's body he wouldn't even have a category to understand what that means right. it is definitely a new day
0: and and as we want to recognize the culture that we're ministering in have a a missional and contextual mindset as we deal with this we want to be full of grace And full of truth, simultaneously, but that can get us into trouble. I'm thinking of videos that have circulated on the internet in recent days, where people have been trying to express here's how to be compassionate with people who are who are confused about gender, and that that compassionate impulse and the need to proclaim truth again those collide, and it requires for us as pastors to. Uh, I I think be uh, really alert to what's going on and measured and careful about what we say, how we say it, and just recognize that no matter what we say, there are going to be people who are going to be upset, outraged. We could wind up on social media with somebody saying, I can't believe what that person said, even if it's the most orthodox view of sexuality that we could possibly have. So as you've been navigating this, and, and you pastored for years in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah where this was leading edge, bleeding edge kind of stuff. What were some of the the issues that you dealt with as a pastor there as it related to gender confusion and the current state of the culture?
1: Yeah. So always pastoring pretty conservative, very conservative churches, gospel-centered, kind of reformed-ish uh, churches. Um I have come into contact with very few people in, in the congregations that I've pastored that have dealt with any sort of gender confusion, though there have been a couple. Um, but mostly what it is, is ministering and teaching and preaching to men and women and and uh, youth in the congregation who are inundated in a culture where they're being formed to think in a way that's very different, whether it's in the workplace or in the school or it's a friend group or just the advertisements they see online or while watching a football game or something like this. And so it it, it hasn't been as much, members of the congregation personally struggling with identity issues regarding gender and sexuality, but it's certainly been a way of thinking and a, a way of indoctrination that that they've needed to be challenged on with a biblical
0: alternative to what the culture is teaching. And as you've been ministering to folks, do you find most folks in your congregation lean in the direction of wanting to be full of grace and maybe let down their guard on truth or wanting to stand firm for truth. And if that gets a little harsh, so be it. Um,
1: so I would say moving from Seattle to the Dallas Fort worth area three years ago, I would say in the Seattle area, even though, um, the the members of the church in Seattle, it's called Redeemer Church, would subscribe to the same doctrinal statement. I right. would say there were more people in Seattle, because of the culture around it, that were probably a little bit more on the edge of love at the expense of truth. Mm-hmm. And I think here, there might be a little bit more the other direction, just being in the South where there's a little bit more traditional values, uh, traditional family and, and, and sexual values. Um, definitely at both the churches. Um, so that would have been... 2014, when we started Redeemer Church, and then I started here in 2020, definitely both churches have the spectrum. Maybe that's bad use, bad terminology to use in this discussion, but the spectrum of kind of love over truth and truth over love. But it was it was leaned a little bit the other way in Seattle than the way down here. But yes, certainly I experienced both.
0: Well, I, I want to talk, and again, we're talking to pastors and church planters. I want to talk about how we deal with this in the congregation as a whole but let me zero in on the youth group where i started because that's the cutting edge for where a lot of this is taking place especially as kids i talked to to a young woman yesterday she said in my high school there were 35 girls in my high school she said i was one of five who identified as straight now she she was in the denver area hmm. and it, you know, Abigail Shire says this is a social contagion that that uh, this whole idea has emerged. And it's it's the cool, hip, trendy thing to do and uh, to identify as straight is kind of like you, you're a loser. If you're you're straight, you you've got to at least be by to, to get along. <laughs> yeah. What 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 does a youth pastor do in this situation? If he's got kids, he, should he presume that the kids he's talking to week in and week out? are confused about all of this and should he address it head on? I think, yeah, I think he
1: should assume that whether or not they're confused by it, that they're actually being taught alternative um, uh, ways of thinking about gender and sexuality, whether they're confused or they're clear-minded on it and maybe even arrogant in their clear-mindedness of it. They're certainly being inundated and taught, um, whether they're at a public school or even if they're at a private school or homeschool, in the different ways they interact in the world, even of watching TV, watching YouTube, whatever it is, uh, I think the youth pastor, the youth minister should always assume
0: that there's a battle going on for their view of man and woman. And the clear message, I think, to students today is, if you are not uh, open, tolerant, embracing of anything on the gender spectrum, something is wrong with you, and you will be excluded from the whole social milieu. So for a fifteen year old kid who's trying to trying to think, do I fit here? do I will anybody like me? Uh, to say, I believe that God created men and women and that gender is assigned at birth. That kid is, he might as well just stand up and say, "Um, I'm never going to get invited to any of your parties anyway. So, uh, and I'll sit alone at the lunchroom every day. I'm just trying to think again, how do we help kids at that age Adopt a biblical worldview and stand with that worldview, knowing that it's going to leave them socially ostracized in most settings that they're in.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, This is the new civil rights issue um, of the day. It's not the same, but it's been made into a comparable situation. Even a lot of our – I don't know if you want to call them liberal or LGBTQ plus affirming politicians. They've actually compared the two. We We've even had black politicians like Loretta Lynch and like Barack Obama compare this issue with civil rights issues. And so if that's the comparison, then absolutely our youth should expect to be treated the same as someone who's racist would be treated. Um, it's it's not tolerated. And we would agree, racism is not tolerated. And just as we feel strongly about that, they would feel as strongly about our view on gender and sexuality because it's the same thing in their eyes. So I do think that we need to prepare our youth and it's way easier said than done, but we do need to prepare our youth to be persecuted. And we need to remind our youth or maybe teach them for the first time that the Christian life is not easy, that the world is not going to love us, that Jesus himself said that they will hate you because they hated me. And we need to make sure that the gospel and the truths in scripture are the reason we're being persecuted and not because we're being jerks, not because we're being arrogant and not loving, but we do need to prepare um, our, our youth for a world where when we speak truth, the world doesn't like it. I mean, it, it, times have changed, but mm-hmm. they haven't changed so much in the sense that Jesus was also persecuted for telling the truth. It's just the sorts of things culture gets mad about is a little different, but it's always
0: been this way for Christians. I was talking to a 15-year-old girl who was looking for work. She said, I'm, I'm trying to get a job. And I said, where are you looking? And she said, well, I've been looking at this and this. But she said, not a whole lot of people will hire 15-year-olds. And I said, have you checked out Chick-fil-A? Because I think they do hire. And she said, yeah, but like – I think they're homophobic, aren't they? And <laughs> yeah. I, again, I thought here's somebody who would would like to have a job, and Chick Fil A is a great place to work. But she would know if she took that job at Chick Fil A, she would have friends at school who are like, "I can't believe you work there." I can't. They, they would make moral judgments about her. And I, I keep saying 15. Maybe it's because when I was 15, I was trying to figure out how I fit into anything Yeah, for, for a 15 year old to take a courageous stand and say, I'm going to believe Jesus and the Bible. The headwinds against that are stronger right now than I think they've ever been in my lifetime.
1: There's no doubt. I mean, the, the emergence and popularity of social media today, um, I have a 14 year old daughter I and I have an 11 year old son. And though our kids do not have social media, um, that's pretty rare, uh, for their ages and so this generation has grown up knowing nothing but the smartphone and social media age and so what that means is if, if we look at social media as essentially a begging for affirmation and, and attention which it is when we when our youth not, not just our youth when anyone when 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 adults as well usually when we post things we're wanting the likes Mm -hmm. We're wanting the comments. We're wanting the affirmation. And so unlike you and I, who remember a world before social media, very much so. I didn't have Facebook till I was out of college by three or four years. It didn't even exist. Um, I had an upbringing where, of course, I wanted affirmation and acceptance. Of course I did. But every waking moment could not be spent trying to get it because there was actual alone time. There was actual time where I wasn't behind a screen posting the best parts of my life so that people would think uh, well of me. So imagine now in that culture where life is about affirmation, it's about social acceptance. Imagine now trying to have an alternative view from the major cultural view. It's even scarier than it would have been for you and I.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking about the importance and, and the helpfulness of there to be community where we're not standing alone, but we know we have allies in this. And I'm also thinking about the pastor who's pastor in a small church where the, the student ministry may be 11 kids and trying to build community among those 11 kids. That's an uphill struggle as well, because it's not the same 11 kids that they're going to high school with the next day. Um, you got any strategies for us here to say, this is how you raise a kid who, who will stand strong in the face of this opposition and won't back down.
1: Yeah. Um, I think this is, man, this is going to seem maybe cheap for some, because it's so, it's so optimistic. It's so much easier said than done. But to answer your question, I think that the two things that my wife, Kate, and I do with our kids and what I think our youth directors at our church do with our students at our church is two things. One, they are trying to teach our students what it means to be disciples, meaning that there's a cost to discipleship, Mm -hmm. that when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he, he actually means not just follow me when it's culturally acceptable he he actually means like i was crucified and you as a follower of me are going to be persecuted so so die to yourself pick up your cross and follow me we need to instill in a in a in a society that very much thinks that we can find perfect peace happiness and well-being here in this life we need to teach our youth that that is simply not the case and it is going to be difficult the second thing and this is incredibly important we need to teach our students a positive and theologically accurate view of human embodiment. Hmm. Meaning, we need to teach them at a young age what the body is, what it is for, how it is a part of God's good creation, how it's meant to be used, what is male, what is female. And if they can have a, not just what are we against, but why are we against it? Because we know what the body is. We know the importance of human embodiment. That is a huge Piece of the puzzle so that our youth don't just hear, oh, transgenderism. Okay, I have to be against that because I know that we're against those isms. Right. Rather, they can identify why. They're against it because it actually does harm to God's good creation in human embodiment. And so, once again, easier said than done, but that needs to be more a part of the teaching and curriculum in our youth groups and in our Christian schools um, with our adults, of course, too. But specifically to answer your question with
0: youth, we need to teach more about the theology of the body. And and a healthy biblical view of uh, biblical sexuality as well, that it's a good gift that God has given And we need to understand that rather than shying away from it or some of the messages of the 90s that we all can look back on and go, okay, we were trying to course correct and we went a little too far. But that doesn't mean we say nothing about it now. We have to present a healthy biblical view of sexuality. And I guess we have to talk to moms and dads about the need to do that. Before the kids come home from youth group and say, guess what? Our youth pastor talked about this.
1: week?" (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so my, my daughter, 14 years old, she's a freshman in high school. Now she goes to a public school. Our son who's 11, he's fifth grader. He goes to a private Christian school. Um, They're experiencing very different things in their schools. They're both experiencing, A broken world. They're Mm -hmm. both experiencing fellow students who are sinners. They both themselves are sinners. Absolutely. But there's a huge cultural difference between the two where the Christian school that my son goes to, it has a Christian worldview and a very conservative kind of underpinning. However, I'm not positive. I don't want to speak ill of the school my son goes to. We're very happy with it. But I am not positive at this point that my son in his school is going to hear a good theology of the body. Right. Right. I don't know. I know he's going to hear homosexuality is wrong. I know he'll hear that. I know he's going to hear transgenderism is not okay. A boy's a boy, a girl's a girl. He'll hear that. But will he get the positive understanding of God's creation of human embodiment? I don't expect that. I wish I could. I don't expect that. That's something that we do at home. Absolutely. Now, my daughter, of course, is going to be taught the exact opposite of that. In the public school, even here in Texas, she's going to get the opposite of that. And once again, it's our job as parents at home to teach these things. It's not the youth pastor's job. The youth minister is a helper is a supplement to what we teach our kids at home. And if we are lazy as parents and we let our kids be discipled by social media and by YouTube and by the TV and by their schools, we are in a huge uphill battle. It's hard enough as it is. If we can start teaching them early on so they already can identify inconsistencies between what mom and dad and my church say and what my teacher says, this is a huge benefit.
0: And. The hard thing, I'm thinking about how we tried to make sure our kids respected their teachers. Your teachers are there for you. So we wanted them to have that. But when they come home and there's a teacher they really love, this teacher they've connected with them, and this teacher is is really doing a great job of all of that. And that teacher, man or woman, says, uh, here's what's true. Mom and dad are kind of like, do I really know what they believe? I'm trying to find my own identity. This teacher who's cool says these things. Maybe that's where I need to be, um, yeah. and, and it's hard to it's hard to win the cool battle as mom and dad sometimes.
1: Oh my goodness, yes, especially <laughs> with our fourteen year old, we are we are uh-huh. not as cool as we used to be. There's no uh-huh. doubt it, it is, and this is why it's always going to be an uphill battle, yeah. unless you homeschool your kids. We do not spend as much time with our kids usually on most weeks as our teachers do. Right, our kids spend more time with their peers and with their teachers than they do with their parents. Okay. (laughs) That is a lot of work to do, which is why I think on the front end, rather than always responding to things, which we need to do as well, Mm -hmm. there needs to be some positive theology that we teach. And by positive, I don't mean like encouraging. Maybe I should have defined that earlier. By positive, I mean teaching what we believe not just what we're against. That's what I mean by positive. Right, right. Um, there's not a lot of tools out there for youth to understand this. We need more tools for that. We need more books written specifically for students about the body and about sexuality and about gender. I'm certain more of those will be coming out soon with how big of an issue this is.
0: You mentioned uh, the book by Carl Truman too, actually. There's the big, thick academic book yeah. that deals with all of this. And then he did a thinner, kind of a, a more popular level and I'm, I'm not pulling up the names. We'll have them in the show notes here for folks who, who want to okay. check those out. But I'm also thinking of Nancy Percy's book, Love Thy Body. Great book. I, I don't know of any – is that the best place you know of to go for that theology of the body right now?
1: Oh, yeah. I think I think Nancy Percy's Love Thy Body is a great resource for parents first to read. And then there are, if parents can read that depending on how old their, their student is, and then kind of translate some of that for their kids, that would be a huge, that would be a great place to start. Her book is phenomenal. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, okay. So let's pull back from students and youth, which by the way, I I think we've just got to be alert to the fact that this is coming at our kids like a tsunami and for a kid to say, I'm I'm straight and think this is the right way to be puts them in social isolation. I just think got to be alert to that and know the the pressures they're up against and recognize that that's going to be hard for them. Be empathetic to that. Don't just say, well, that's not what we believe and, and get defensive and angry about it, but engage. And like you said, God has a good plan for us, both with sexuality and with the body that he's given us. And we need to understand that and embrace it. Let me pull it out to the broader culture, because right now I am preaching through Jude about false teachers emerging in the church. And one of the characteristics of the false teachers is they're given over to sensuality. They're led by their sensuality. Their references to angels copulating with humans. There's references to Sodom and Gomorrah as God bringing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm about to have to, as I dive into this, just take a little side road and say, we need to remember what the Bible says and remind ourselves of what the Bible says about sexuality. And there are, again, there's a movement of, it's not my words, it's Jude's word, false teachers who are arising, who are eroding the faith around some of these most critical issues. In fact, I think, and I'm I'm curious to see if you agree, I, I think the gender and sexuality issue is at the forefront of what is leading to the erosion of biblical Christianity in churches across America. I don't know that there's another issue That we can point to to say people are falling away from the faith because of this. I think gender and sexuality is the leading edge on what's causing people to get shipwrecked in their faith today.
1: No doubt. There's no doubt that this this, anything on the LGBTQ plus spectrum is like I said before, it's the new civil rights issue. And so if that is the case, if it's viewed as the new civil rights issue, then this is going to keep young people out of the church. Right. It's going to keep people out of the church. If that church ascribes to some sort of biblical view on those issues. And so it, the deck is already stacked against the Bible, believing Bible preaching church to engage the culture on issues like this. And so what you're doing in Jude is incredibly important to prepare your people, your congregants, your members, um, that, uh, the reality of the issue and, and when they're interacting with their, their coworkers or with their family members that don't agree, if they can expect this and if they can know that the, the people in their life that already disagree with them, they've already been indoctrinated without knowing it, of course, for years and years and years. And it's not like a one conversation, fix something. There's right. not like a slam dunk, uh, sentence that you can say, but it's a long, you know, to use Eugene Peterson, it's long obedience in the same direction. It It, it takes a long time.
0: Yeah. And we know that this is going to keep some people, I mean, when when we moved into our building, some people in the neighborhood sent a letter, an email to me, said, we just saw that a new church is in the area where a married couple, two men. We just wondered if your church is welcoming. Mm -hmm. And I wrote back and said, "I, I hope you would feel welcome at our church On any given week, we would do our best to try to make sure you feel welcome. I think the question you're asking is whether we affirm your sexuality. I said, here's a link to a message you can listen to where we talked about this recently. And if you have any questions, I'd love to get with you and and talk uh, about that. But you're going to be known for, you're probably going to be known more for what you're against in the secular community than you are for what you're for. No matter how hard you try to uh, be for things. And and I think we just have to own that and say, okay, the, the, this is who we are, and and we do it joyfully, and we uh, we don't back down, and we're full of grace in the midst of it.
1: No, you're right. I mean, we we actually just recently had that exact same question uh, from somebody who said, "Are you are you welcoming mm-hmm. to homosexuals in your church?" And the answer, of course, is, well, of course, we're welcoming. Yes. Um, If what you're asking is, do we affirm and support that lifestyle? We we do not. Um, But of course, everyone is welcome here. But isn't it a sign of the time that we live in that the word welcoming has taken over the word support or affirming? Because what that says is, if you do not affirm everything I do, then you're not welcoming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the, you know, this has been a, a cultural trajectory for a long time now, but it is the essentially, if there's anything about me or my life that you disagree with, it means you don't accept me.
0: Yeah. Well, control the language yes. and you control the argument. So when you call, when you call mutilation, gender affirming care, when you call the murder of an unborn child, pregnancy termination, I mean, that's it's, or
1: just even we, women's healthcare. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, call, yeah call exactly. Right. Yeah. That's right.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think, and, and this is part of what I want to make sure my congregation understands um, the, the, the front lines of this for us are not with the people who are not a part of a church, who are on the cultural left, who are advocating this, uh, these views on gender and sexuality. I think the front lines are the people inside the church who are pushing in that direction. And I think we have to be careful. We should not be surprised that people who don't know Jesus have mixed up views when it comes to gender and sexuality. And I look at that and go, I'm not sure we we need to aim our sights there. But when you've got people in seminaries, you've got people, and I'm talking about professors as well as students, you've got people who are evangelicals or profess to be evangelicals who have adopted a new view on gender and sexuality. Now, all of a sudden we're inside the church on this. And I know there are some people who are saying, well, this is a second tier issue. So we just need on baptism, spiritual gifts, we agree to disagree on gender affirming. We just need to agree to disagree and live in harmony with one another. Uh, Is this a second tier issue?
1: Uh, no, it's not a second tier issue. I mean, it's it's it. I guess it de- it probably depends a little bit on how you define first tier, second tier. I mean, if it, if we're saying this is a gospel issue, like because sometimes when people say first tier issue, they mean like this is salvation. Like if you don't agree with this, then you cannot be saved. That would be an interesting discussion. I do believe that somebody could be saved, yes, and have a wrong, unbiblical view on homosexuality. I do think it's possible. It, that doesn't mean they're right in their view. They're wrong in their view. So in that sense, maybe not a first-year issue, but a first-year issue meaning dangerous to the undermining of the gospel? Absolutely. When you start throwing clear biblical, st- biblical teaching Away, when you start, um, when you start asking more questions than you have answers for about clear biblical teachings, you where do you stop? Yeah, you know where where do you stop? And, and next, the, the you know penal substitutionary atonement is gone, which means the wrath of God is gone, which means the gospel is gone, um, and so it's a
0: very slippery slope. When you have stretched your exegesis to, to the point where you can allow for homosexuality you can reinterpret now all of a sudden the 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 text has become so elastic that any number of deviations can find their way in and and you know Wayne Grudem said about a lot of these issues years ago that this was the camel's nose in the tent well uh the, the camel has moved more than his nose inside the tent these days and <laughs> i i think we've got to recognize the whole camel's going to be in here and the tent's going to be ruined if we don't say, no, this can't be an end. <laughs> Ryan, here's what I've said to people who uh, have said, I think this is a second-tier issue. I've said, well, if you're wrong about your interpretation of 1 Corinthians 6, which says that people who are doing these things will not go to heaven. If, if you're wrong about your interpretation and you say, no, you don't need to worry about it, it's okay, and you're wrong, somebody has believed you and is on a path to hell. Hmm. I mean, if, if somebody has a different view of baptism, that's not something that that we'd look and say, well, this person's going to wind up in hell because they sprinkle or they dunk. Somebody has a different view on on tongues, that's not going to be what's going to keep them in or out. But according to 1 Corinthians 6, these people who practice these things aren't going to heaven. And now all of a sudden, when we talk about it being a gospel issue, uh, how we teach it, we're coming under stricter judgment. We got to be very careful with how we handle the scriptures here.
1: That's right. And it's it's not like there there is a difference between somebody who struggles with a temptation, struggles with a sin, And someone teaching people Mm -hmm. that it's okay to do so. There is a huge difference. I mean, we, you and I, even as believers who are righteous in Christ, we still struggle with sin in our flesh. Okay, that's just true. Yes, Paul in Romans 7, we will continue to until our sanctification is complete in glorification in eternity. However, it would be very different if you and I started teaching from the pulpit that our sin was justified and okay, and we've always misunderstood Paul's writings on this and what Jesus said about this. I mean, you're now in a very different category than yeah. simply, I still struggle with sin. This is why we're told in Scripture that teachers will be judged with harsher judgment. right. This is why it's so dangerous. When I look at the list in first Corinthians six that you were talking about, there's a whole bunch of things in here. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. There's a whole lot of Christians that can commit some of these sins. And yet the blood of Jesus has saved them. Yes. Right. Right. But it's a different story. To start teaching people that, and by the way, I don't know anyone who really does most of these things. I don't know many pastors who say that stealing's okay, being greedy's okay, being a drunkard's okay, being a reviler's okay, being a swindler. I don't hear those. But right. there's a couple of these that there's preachers that are like, no, 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 this is fine. We've always misunderstood what Paul means here. Well, okay, we're we're in a we're in a different ballpark now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that when we're talking about gender and sexuality, transgender identities to be specific. I think it's helpful if Christians use analogy and they use their imagination when talking to someone who disagrees with them. And what I mean is, it's some sort of a natural law, common grace sort of way to talk to people who disagree where they can understand the irrationality of what it is. They believe I I get that. It's a cultural accepted, a seemingly loving view to say that biological male thinks that he is a she, therefore she is now a she, (laughs) would be how they would say it. Okay. But, But the problem is, is what you're talking about in a situation like this is in the mind has now overtaken the reality of the body. The mind is more determinative of who you are than your body is. But the problem is even in the most liberal wings of society, we don't do this with other mind-body disorders. We don't. We don't do it with anorexia. With anorexia, there's a 16-year-old girl who weighs 84 pounds and she, she looks in the mirror and she sees mentally, she sees something that's not true. No doctor will say your mind is more determinative about your reality than your body. Why? Because it'd be harmful to her to give her liposuction. Mm -hmm. It'd be harmful for her, for a doctor to say, you know what, you really should eat less because you're right. If your mind says you're overweight, then you're overweight. I mean, think of how our culture uh, responded to Rachel Dolezal. You remember her? Yeah. There was not one person in this world, especially the left, who believed that because she thought she was black she was actually black. Mm-hmm. Everybody said she is verifiably, biologically Caucasian. not black. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's Caucasian. And no one was okay with that. And so when we talk about mind versus body, which scripture always connects, we got to be careful that we don't become Gnostic and like split these two. That's one of the problems with this, this ideology, but we need to use analogy when reasoning in a loving way with people that disagree with us and say, well, okay, I understand what you're saying, but would you say that to an anorexic person? Would you say that to somebody with body identity integrity disorder? Would you say that to someone who believes they're transracial? And the answer to all those is no. And now we can get to the heart of the question. Then why is it okay here? And we can, that, that can hopefully foster some discussion.
0: And and the the crux of the issue here, I remember something I heard Alister Beggs say earlier this year when he said, "What we're seeing is the triumph of experience as authority, instead of revelation as authority. The the word of God being authority." And and today that's endemic, not just in the culture, that's endemic in the church where people are saying, "My experience is what is most true." And I have to look at the Bible and say, how do I adjust the Bible to match my experience rather than how, how do I have to present my body as a living sacrifice and and have my mind renewed so that my appetites and my desires are not what are leading the day for us? That's right. Alistair McIntyre
1: and Charles Taylor, um, they would call this expressive individualism, right? That, that the ethic of the day is that we are individuals who have our own opinions. And when we express those opinions, that's now our ethic. Our ethic is what we express about what we think. And that's very experiential. And so who are you and who am I to tell someone that their experience is not correct? that their view of self might not be correct.
0: Yeah. We we also have to, I think, help our people understand that there is a difference between someone who I'm going to say innocently, naively has kind of bought into the cultural way of thinking and somebody who has calculatedly intentionally and after much examination landed on that side of this issue. So somebody in your church who says, you know, yeah, just, I think, man, you know, if if you've got a daughter who thinks she's a boy, do you want her dead or do you want her to transition? That's the argument that's being made. I would handle that person in my congregation who is thinking that way, who's been trained to think that way. That's a person who's responding naively. That's different than reading David Gushy and, I'm, I'm calling him – he's just a prototype of any number of theologians who would say, no, I think this is what the Bible teaches. I've studied this and I've landed here. That's the difference between the naive and the wolf in sheep's clothing.
1: Absolutely. And, and I'll even take that – what you just said a step further and I'll say this. There's a difference between those who promote transgender ideology and those who are transgender. Hmm. And What I mean is there are people – who struggle with gender dysphoria, a real mental illness, and some of them make an unhealthy decision to do some sort of transition, which we would disagree with. Very seldomly are those the people trying to promote it for the whole world to believe. Usually the people trying to promote it are those who are not gender dysphoric, Mm -hmm. those who don't really have skin in the game other than popularity, And who want to be accepted and want to have more likes and want to get elected, whatever the case is. And so the dissertation I just finished, I I make sure that I uh, distinguish, decipher between those who struggle with gender identity issues and those who teach gender ideology. Because they're not always the same people. Some are teachers and some are struggling. And there's a difference between the two.
0: And everybody's wondering, when can I get my hands on your dissertation?
1: (laughs) I I don't know. Good question. (laughs) I I just turned in my defense draft. I think I defend it in about a month and then I'll graduate in December and then we'll see what I do with it after that. I don't know. I mean, do you think,
0: would you hope that it would be a book, might be more popularly available?
1: Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I I don't know how much I feel like writing anymore, to be honest, after this thing. (laughs) So
0: I, I don't know what I want to do with it. Well, everybody's here saying, come on, come on, we need this. Do this for us. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Next time on The Bounce, we're going to talk about how we do ministry in a digital universe with social media and instant access to whatever online How do we function and how do we become aware of what uh, the digital world is doing to us spiritually? Samuel James has addressed this in a new book he's written. He joins us next time to talk about ministering in the digital universe. Join us on the next edition of The Bounce.